This is the Social Pros Podcast, the weekly show for real people doing real work in social media. With your host, Jay Bear of Convince and Convert, and featuring Jeff Roars, Nick Cicero from Expian, and great guests from the world of social media and content marketing. Social Pros is sponsored by Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company, Expian, Janray, powering personalized marketing with customer profile management, and Cision. Ready to learn from the pros? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody. It is Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert and the new jtoday.tv video podcast, joined, as always, by my pal Nick Cicero from XBN. Nick, how are you this morning? Feeling good, feeling great. How are you, Jay? I'm okay. We're missing our pal Jeff Roars today from Exact Target. Jeff is uh, on vacation, I think, this week and, and next week. Uh, he is a Clevelander. Is that how you say that? Clevelander or something like that, I think, uh, as many people know. So I assume that he is off uh, doing some sort of welcome back LeBron vacation experience. Buying a New Jersey, perhaps. Not, not New Jersey, the state, a new comma Jersey uh, would be the, the better way to say that. So burned his old one. Yeah, I don't think he had a, you know, that's a good question. We'll ask him next time he's on whether he burnt his original LeBron Jersey and has now had to recant uh, and, uh, and get a new one. It has been uh, quite, quite a couple of weeks for the, for the Cleveland community. We are joined uh, by another good Midwestern uh, social media professional uh, today on the social pros podcast. It is Dan Gingas coming to us from Chicago. Dan is the director of digital customer service and social media at discover Dan. Thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, what is your take on, uh, on LeBron's return? Actually, you know, the Bulls The Bulls had high hopes to get all kinds of uh, fancy players. Didn't get anybody. Uh, that's true. And uh, I am, I'm a little bit more of a baseball and football fan, but uh, I'm actually just happy to have LeBron out of my Twitter feed. <laughs> Temporarily. Temporarily. At least uh, for now. Yes, that is correct. Uh, yeah, we were talking uh, off air about uh, your experiences uh, recently with a, uh, a utility company and uh, you were calling them and they kept saying, you know, we're, we're experiencing extraordinarily high call volume and all these kind of things that people play with um, with IVRs. And now, of course, uh, many Americans, I won't say most because it's not most, but many Americans are using social media as a way to contact companies in a customer service environment. I'm certain that that is part of what happens uh, at Discover. Do you think ultimately that's uh, that's a good thing for consumers or, or just sort of muddies the water? I actually think it's a great thing. Um, we have a philosophy here where uh, we want to service customers in the channel that they want to be serviced in. And so when people tweet at us or come to our Facebook page and ask uh, a question, uh, the last thing we want to do is tell them that we're experiencing really high call volume and can't get to their question. So we want to answer their question. We want to answer it in the channel that they came to. We don't want to punt them to the phone or to email or anywhere else. Um, and that's something that we've been extremely focused on um, and I think doing a really, really good job of. Do you find or do you test um, the customer satisfaction of people that you help in social versus traditional channels, uh, telephone and, and email? And if so, do you see any differences in, in overall satisfaction rates? I wouldn't say that we that we explicitly test that, um, but what we 
do for sure is we monitor um, the comments that we get from people that we have serviced. And uh, time and time again, um, we've seen even people that are initially engaging with us uh, to say something negative, um, the fact that we respond to them at all is usually a surprise and delight. Um, and, uh, and then often we're able to turn that sentiment around from, uh, from negative to positive. Um, the other place where we do measure it is um, last year uh, we were among the first companies to introduce um, secure chat in both Facebook and Twitter. So getting back to what I was saying that we don't want to punt people to other channels, we are in a regulated industry. We do get customers that ask questions that are account related and, and that are private, so we can't answer them out in public. What we can do is send them a personalized link in Facebook or Twitter that's good for um, a, a short period of time. They click on it and they um, were able to authenticate their account um, and have a chat with them without them ever leaving the platform, which is great. And we are able to um, measure satisfaction after that chat because they're, they're uh, served a, a quick survey and we compare that to um, uh, to our our click to chat on the website, for example. Wow. So does does that secure chat run within Twitter and Facebook, or is it a separate application uh, that runs on top of Twitter and Facebook? It's a separate application. Uh, it's actually the same company that we use for our website click to chat. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that was good because um, our reps were already trained on it. Um, we're familiar with the with the company, so we've already have a good working relationship with them. So it does sit on top, but again, you don't have to really go anywhere. Uh, and experience is is really. Uh, really great, really fluid, um, and uh, I invite you to try it out if you want. Yeah, we'd love to do that. We'll grab some screenshots, too, to put it in the blog post um, that we write around this show. It'd be really interesting to see that in action. One of the things that we've talked about a couple of times here on the show, uh, I think with Jeff, actually, uh, is this notion of whether people who reach out to a brand in social media are doing so as their second or third touch point, right, where they've already tried to call and the wait time was too long or they tried to email and weren't satisfied so that, that the social touch is their uh, sort of last resort or if it is their first resort. Um, do you have data on that or either anecdotal or, or things that you've, uh, you've studied? Well, I will say this. Um, we have a long history of, of uh, great customer service. I think that it was one of the things that the company was built on uh, 25 plus years ago. Um, a lot of people don't know this. We were the first credit card company to offer 24 seven uh, phone service. Um, and so we have, um, we really don't have uh, wait times. I mean, we are having our reps answering the phones um, immediately and, uh, and people are, for the most part, if they're calling on the phone, they are getting that service um, as quickly as they need. So uh, we believe that while we get a combination of, of first resort and later resort, um, that it is mostly first resort. Yeah. Um, so we've got, a, we've got a, a pretty big population that is reaching out on Twitter or on Facebook as a first resort. Certainly, if somebody calls and doesn't like the answer they got on the phone, uh, sometimes they will follow up uh, in social media uh, as a second resort. 
That stands to reason, I think, for for all brands as social matures, because if you're a consumer and you've had any sort of satisfactory interaction with a brand on Twitter or Facebook, I suppose you could also have an experience like that in Google Plus or elsewhere. But but let's assume Twitter and Facebook primarily. Once you've had a good experience, whether that first good experience was a a first touch or or a, a last resort touch, once you're like, hey, this social media thing works pretty well, it stands to reason that the next time you need to interact with a brand, you're going to gravitate towards social because your experience there was so good. And when you sort of play that out over months and years, you get to the point where many more people are using social media uh, as a first point of contact. Of course, we're nowhere near uh, a place and we never may get there where where a majority of consumers are using social media uh, as a as a first touch. But I suspect that you have seen at Discover the volume of social media interactions going up over time. Yeah. Absolutely, and uh, and that's actually right now without any real marketing. Um, so we do uh, we introduced uh, late last year um, on Twitter. Um, we do uh, we do send out tweets that remind people that we are here to provide service. Um, we don't do that on um, Facebook and uh, and and yeah, we've we've definitely seen the numbers gone up go up, but we haven't we have not marketed social service yet in other traditional channels. Uh, and I think that's going to be the next step for us that we're, we're very excited about. Dan, can you tell us a little bit about what, what your team looks like? Uh, so, so the frontline responders who are uh, answering questions in social, uh, are they the same individuals who are also answering the phone or are there dedicated people who are, who are really focused on, on the social media side of the customer experience? Well, we have about uh, 15 or so customer service reps that uh, sit in our call center in uh, Lake Park, Utah, and most of them used to be phone reps, and they will tell you uh, to a one that they're very happy to not be on the phone anymore, Um, but we do uh, cross-train them uh, with both click-to-chat and email, and that's one of the ways that we keep the cost of servicing down um, is that, you know, if and when there's a period of time where uh, where there aren't as many... um, questions in social for them to answer they've they're able to um to work on other channels as well so these guys are pretty uh pretty well cross-trained across a number of digital response mechanisms um and then of course we add the the social training around um you know tone and personality and obviously um uh, character length and twitter uh etc so but they are they are some of the best of the best reps and and like i said they sort of cut their teeth on the phone um but for them it is a it's an honor uh and a privilege to be able to be off the phone and onto the digital channels you talked about the fact that the company really prides itself on on near immediate response on the telephone do you have a similar commitment in, in social media to be answering uh, questions uh, n- nearly uh, immediately? I mean, do you have an in-house um, service level agreement where you say, look, we want to try and get back to somebody within an hour uh, on Twitter? Are you using those kind of KPIs? Absolutely. Um, a few years ago, we were uh, pretty proud of ourselves for being at around a three-hour response time. Um, I can tell you that last month, uh, ending June, we were at 19 minutes. Um, and so we have actually set a goal to be the best in any industry. Um, we have uh, we've stopped looking at our direct competitors. We started looking at industries like the airlines that, whether you like their answers or not in social, they are very, very fast in responding. And they have to be because somebody standing stranded in an airport, yeah. they need an answer now. Um, and we've learned that um, some major airlines have uh, internal goals of around 15 minutes. So that's about where we have 
placed our goals. Um, and sitting at 19, we're feeling like we are delivering um, unbelievable service. And again, this is, you know, you have to, you have to actually answer their question when you respond quickly. <laughs> right, it's not just you thanks. Know, call right. the 800 yeah. number. This is not good. Uh, so we are we are answering their question, um, and you know we try for. I like to call it. You know, in the call centers, they refer to first call resolution. Mm -hmm. um, I like to call it first tweet resolution. That's what we try to accomplish. Um, and certainly, some some uh, questions are more complex than others, um, and especially if they're account related. You know, it is going to take a couple of back and forths. We might have to open up the chat window, etc. Um, but it is meant to be fast and accurate. So what what do you have to do internally to go from three hours to nineteen minutes? I mean, what are the what are the milestones uh, in terms of behaviors and operations to to make that happen? I mean, that's a tremendous improvement in a relatively short period of time. Uh, is that training related? Is it is it software related? Um, is it just experiential? How, how does that happen? Yeah, I think it's a combination. It is. It's um, both getting ourselves on the right platform and um, and sort of tweaking the platform to do what we need it to do, um, and and also um, training within the call center. We have, again, the good news is is that we have a culture of great customer service. So it's not like we had to convince our customer service um, department that either they wanted to respond in social at all or that they wanted to respond quickly. That's already in their nature. Uh, what we really needed to do was provide the tools for them and the platform that allowed us to do that more quickly. And so, um, you know, for a while, for example, we had um, a third-party agency that was helping us tag all of the incoming um, tweets and, and Facebook posts um, to determine which ones required service and all that. And then that was passed to our customer service reps. Um, we then realized that if we trained the reps how to tag the post, uh, that cut out a middleman uh, and reduced the time quite a lot. Um, so we've worked on a lot of operational pieces, um, but we've also, I, I mean, certainly the reps over time have gotten better at it, right? Because they're, they've, they've seen more, um, they've seen more posts. They, um, you know, they understand how to, they don't have to think anymore about how to respond in 140 characters or less. They sort of have their shortcuts and their abbreviations that they already know. Um, and uh, so it, it really is a combination of platform uh, and training. But I, but I always do say to other, uh, to other folks that ask us about it is you really have to have great customer service before you attempt social customer service. The social customer service can go wrong very quickly if you don't have the, um, the back-end customer service sort of philosophy that already uh, aims to respond quickly, respond accurately, et cetera. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, Jay and I are just here messaging each other. That will be probably the tweetable quote of this podcast. Uh, I think that you make a great point that you have to have a, a already an established workflow before you, to try throw so, before you try and throw social in the mix. Um, switching gears a little bit, uh, I know that you guys have done a lot of really awesome content partnerships, and, and you guys do sponsorship, being a you know huge credit card finance company. Um, I would love to talk a little bit more about your guys' work with the NHL this year. Uh, obviously, you guys were uh, a sponsor of the NHL playoffs, going through all the way through to the Stanley Cup. But you guys have also been doing a lot of kind of co-created content or partnership content with the NHL directly. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about and what's the strategy behind it? Yeah, I think what we have found with um, our sponsorships is 
the best way to get them initiated is for our social teams to connect. You know, because the sponsorships tend to be created from a from a brand. Uh, you know, from the from the brand department, um, and or from an advertising area, and those teams tend to be in a lot of organizations different from the social team. And so, um, my social team has established its own relationship um, with the NHL social team, and that has been uh, that has r- really been fantastic because we have similar goals. Um, and we have the ability to help each other out. And so, um, some of the things that we've done, we you know we did a video series around the day with the with the Stanley Cup, um, and uh, and again that was in in partnership with NHL. Um, and so, you know, when you're creating, as, as Jay certainly knows, when you're creating good content that uh, that people like, um, you know, it is it's it's shareable and. Um, uh, and it and it kind of goes a long way. And when you have two re- reasonably sized organizations that uh, can help each other out and and cross share the content, um, that's proven to be really successful. And I think as we move along in our relationship with the NHL, the hope is that we can do um, even more with that. You know, we we um, in our sponsorship with the Orange Bowl, we were able to. Um, get uh, in-stadium engagement. Um, we had, before the Orange Bowl game, we um, we had people voting on which team they were rooting for, and, and we had this scoreboard, and, um, you know, it got tremendous uh, involvement from uh, from college football fans, from our own uh, Discover fans onto that, and I think that's something that we'd be interested in doing with, um, with NHL as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, you mentioned how you had established a kind of a relationship with the NHL social team. Um, can you explain a little bit more how you can actually make that happen? You know, a lot of times, like you mentioned, these these sponsorships or these partnerships are coming from other departments, whether it's from you know the agency team or the brand marketing team. Um, and and I sometimes I feel like social always has to you know kind of fight to make sure that they're getting. Um, the right amount of respect, even though it may be social in nature, the content that they're creating, but not necessarily getting the the right engagement potentially uh, that a partnership deserves. How do you guys kind of ensure that that you're building that relationship outside of the the typical brand sponsorship and getting down to working with those different social teams? Yeah, I mean, obviously, a big brand sponsorship has a ton of elements to it, and social is but one element. Uh, and so I think there's two things. One is you really want social to be at the negotiating table from the beginning, right? Because it, 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 it certainly makes it easier if the contract includes uh, the fact that social is going to be part of the, the sponsorship. But even absent that, I think that you know my team's done a really great job of of literally just reaching out and introducing themselves to the social teams of other organizations. NHL is but one example, um, and really trying to sell internally to that team, uh, and then have both of the social teams you know sell it up to their folks. And I think once that, that's worked for us on a number of occasions, where when you get two social teams together, they usually can put something together that benefits both brands. Um, and you know, while the while the sponsorship teams are off, you know, focusing on 20 different elements of the uh, sponsorship, we're able to really hone in on just the social piece um, and 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 come up with some some great ideas that uh, frankly have not been too difficult to sell upwards um, because you know when we go to our senior management uh, you know or sponsorship owners and say hey we've got this great idea and by the way the NHL social team loves it and they're already on board um, that uh, that's usually a pretty easy sell and we found that that other social teams that other companies want to work together because they're facing the same issues that we are um, they're looking for original content they're looking for a bigger audience um, and they're looking to sort of leverage what they're already doing 
Um, and so we have found that uh, a lot of times it's just a simple reach out, uh, you know, the figurative knock on the door and, uh, and introduce ourselves. Uh, and that has worked really well. Yeah, sort of a one plus one equals three at that point. We already have somebody else wanting to work with you. Dan, certainly on the customer service side, uh, you're keeping customers happy and, and positive issues resolution and, and post assistance survey work uh, forms the basis of the uh, of the metrics there. On the on the more proactive content creation uh, marketing side, whether it's talking about rewards, which of course is um, one of the things that Discover is known for, uh, or or activations like NHL and Orange Bowl, etc. What are the what are sort of the metrics that you're looking for there? Are, are you thinking strategically of social as a way to generate new card holders or to keep existing card holders loyal or a combination of those things? What's sort of the the theoretical role for social uh, in the organization outside of the very specific uh, reactive customer service setting? Yeah, uh, good question. I would say that, you know, we sort of look at it in the traditional sense of the marketing funnel um, and social has you know, always been uh, known as a channel that can provide awareness. Um, if we can do a little bit better, we can drive some consideration. And if we can really nail it, we can drive actual sales or card usage. Um, I think we have evolved over time. Um, for a while, our uh, content was really aimed at growing our following base on social um, and, uh, you know, creating engagement on social. But um, as we have all kind of learned over time, uh, and, and some of those social metrics have even gained the title of, of quote-unquote vanity metrics, um, we've really been uh, for a while now moved away from those. And um, we stopped counting our followers. Um, we stopped um, looking uh, at, we look at likes and retweets and shares and comments, but really what we're focused on is content that we can deliver to customers that, that provide enough value to them that they will use our card more um, or perform some other action that is, that is something that we're measuring. So, um, for example, uh, you mentioned rewards, right? So um, we have a 5% program that rotates every quarter in different categories. Um, and we definitely use social as a channel for people to activate their 5% um, benefit. Um, we also last year um, put together a really cool app within Facebook um, that leveraged our Shop Discover program, which is an online mall that when you click through Shop Discover to say gap.com, um, whatever you purchase at Gap, um, we add an extra 5% cash back bonus to um, that you get added to your rewards bank. Um, and we've got you know, 150 different merchants uh, in that program. And so last year on Facebook, we introduced an app that was that was really cool. You could actually, um, uh, once you linked to it, um, it would look at, you, you could pick one of your friends on Facebook. And as long as their privacy settings were set past a, a, a minimum threshold, um, if, I, if I said, hey, Jay's my friend, I'm looking to buy him a gift, um, it would actually search through Jay's social profile and all the things that you've mentioned and the brands that you've liked and the posts that you made, et cetera. Um, and then it would link it back to the merchants that are in our Shop Discover program, and it would recommend um, a certain number of Shop Discover merchants that we think Jay would like. Um, and that drove tremendous engagement. And what was really cool about it was that it um, drove a lot of people who had never used our Shop Discover program before, which was great. And it also woke up some people who had used Shop Discover a year or two ago and had stopped using it um, and, and you know, saw this and engaged with the app and then um, began using it as well. 
Um, so I think we are like many companies we're uh, we're still on the journey, but we are um, we're really focused on um, again whether it's whether it's using the credit card, signing up for rewards programs, um, or even things like um, you know we, we've introduced uh, new uh, a couple new real time alerts that you can get that push notifications on your phone for various different transactions happening. They're really cool, um, and so we may have a, a content campaign where we try to get people to um, to sign up and experience those alerts because we know that they have uh, a lot of value um, and, and we know customers find them useful. So we're really trying on most of our content, the sponsorship stuff excluded, we're trying to, um, to put content out there that we can link back to a certain business metric. Um, obviously, the holy grail is kind of getting to that social ROI, which everybody talks about. Yeah. But we're pretty happy if we can get people, you know, to sign up for the program or to, um, you know, in, in, engage from a business perspective in some way. Well, and I think you've nailed it, right? I mean, people ask me as a consultant all the time about social ROI and to look at their existing programs. And what I always say is, well, have you? Have you given people a call a call to action that you can measure? Well, no. Exactly. Well, if you don't have a call to action, you can't measure anything. Uh, you know, you you have to actually have a link or an app or something that you're asking them to do a behavior that you can that you can not only track but then model or tie back to business results. And people want some sort of crystal ball metric like this is working great with with no actual behavior uh, involved, and, and that is literally impossible, right? It's mathematically impossible. So I love the fact that that you have a lot of calls to action in your program, but but you're doing it in a way that people actually feel like it's a net benefit, right? Because that can that can go south real fast. Um, you can really get get into the click here. It's going to be amazing. No, this is even more amazing. Click here um, kind of social content production, which uh, gets pretty tiresome. Yeah, I mean, the last thing we want to do is look like we're selling to people because we really aren't. We're trying to improve the experience that they have with us. Sometimes that means introducing them to uh, features and benefits that they're not aware of. But I would say that, you know, we are keenly aware of the fact that we are in the credit card industry and we're and we're aware of the fact that there's probably not that many people that sign onto their Facebook account every day hoping to hear from their credit card company. There's a lot of industries like that, right? And when you go to conferences and you sit with people in health insurance or, uh, or, or other, uh, other industries that, you know, there are very, very few, um, there are very, very few brands that people like want to engage with in social media proactively. Um, and, and there's certainly some of them out there that do a fantastic job. Um, I think that for a credit card company, that's a very, very difficult ask. And so the, so the best that we can do is we can, we can really focus on things that we know are useful and uh, to our card members, um, that we know improve the experience and the overall value of being a Discover card member. Um, and, you know, we're able to do that both to our existing customers and hopefully we're able to introduce it to um, to people who aren't our customers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would say that's the same thing, just to connect it back, that's the same thing with um, with the servicing, is that um, what I love about service in, in uh, social is that it is the only channel where you can actually publicly demonstrate your great customer service. I mean, if you've seen any of our television commercials for the last several years, we are talking about our customer service on TV. Um, but you see that commercial and you haven't experienced it. You've just seen it and you and you either believe it or you don't. In social, you're actually able to, to witness it. And I think that puts even more onus on us to do it well. Um, but, but what's great is that we're able to show that even to people who aren't our customers yet. 
Yeah, and uh, I am actually a Discover card holder myself, so I do appreciate the oh, customer well, service. You. That I can uh, absolutely, I can tell you that I have had a couple issues over the the past couple of years, but they've always been resolved um, pretty quickly. So it's it's been really great. Um, well, going, thank you. We appreciate you being a customer. Yeah, definitely. So going a little bit further, <clears throat> taking along that same kind of line, I wanted to talk a little bit more about how maybe you're prioritizing some of your customer service. So you know, uh, at Xbeyond, where I uh, where I work, we have a lot of technology and tools for relationship platforms where companies are actually responding to different customers, uh, and they have set up you know different types of workflows of how they funnel that content through. Um, but recently, I think that there's been a lot more brands, and I think Verizon comes to mind, and, and BuzzFeed actually wrote an article about this. Um, you know, the people are kind of starting to wonder how are these different customer service channels prioritized when you move from social um, back offline to kind of your own channels, like you mentioned before. So, how do you guys go about prioritizing some of all the the requests you probably have to to field? Well, again, I think that our our focus is that we we want to service people in the channel that they want to be serviced in. And so, you know, we continue to look at the volumes across all channels and, and um, you know, have a pretty large workforce management team in our customer service department that helps us, um, that helps us prioritize, frankly. Um, right now, we're at a, at a position that um, because we haven't been really publicly marketing the social service, we've got... Um, you know, these dedicated reps in the field, they've got enough work to do, they're not overwhelmed. Um, and, you know, right now we're essentially preparing for the day where we are able to, on other channels, um, go out and really promote this as a fantastic uh, as a fantastic service channel. Um, we had to do a couple things internally um, in order to get that. Um, you know, we had to bring the click to chat to the channel because um, you know, we have to have the ability to have a secure conversation if, if people are asking about their account. Um, we had to work on the cost and uh, and make sure that the, that as a channel compared to other channels um, that 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 we can service um, that that the you know the cost is lower than other channels. Uh, and we've done that. We've brought it down to a cost that is. Um, uh, below phone for sure, uh, and we're and we're still kind of comparing it to some of the other digital channels like click to chat and email. Um, but really, you know, getting those those ducks in a row um, so that we can take it more public. Um, and for example, um, you know, on the website, um, push people to Twitter, um, even uh, perhaps dynamically when we know if there if we do have a run on the on the phone and and wait times are longer than usual, trying to to push people over to that channel. Um, and we have not even attempted that yet. So I think for now, prioritization hasn't been a huge issue because we've got enough people to service. Um, but but as we uh, continue to prove it out, and I think we're really really close to to being able to 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 go big with it, um, then we're going to have to you know really lean on the workforce management team and make sure that um, you know that by going public we don't mess up the response times uh, and and also the quality that we've spent so much time developing. Yeah, so then it's uh, you're not really prioritizing by like follower counts or cloud scores or anything like that if somebody tweets a request to you. Oh, I, no, I'm sorry. I, I didn't understand the question then. No, not at all. I would say that we are, um, you know, very specifically answering um, everybody that reaches out to us. Um, we uh, we are, we don't service people based on the number of followers. Um, we service them if they have an account question there, you know, every, every customer is important to us. And right now we have the ability to do that. And, um, and you know, I would say that that will continue to be um, part of the, 
SLA and part of our philosophy. Um, you know, we basically, it's the old adage, you know, your, your, your call will be handled in the order it's received. So we, we respond to uh, tweets and Facebook posts uh, in the order that we receive them, um, really without regard to how popular you are or how, how social you are. One thing I wanted to ask you, Dan, to follow up on that is is whether you are bridging the marketing and and customer and customer service um, gaps with a unified view of the customer in the database. So if you pull up a customer record, uh, does it say, yes, here's who this person is on Twitter or this person has contacted us uh, on Facebook. Are you trying to append customer data with social media data so that you know that this person whose whose credit card name is X is this person on Twitter and this person on Facebook? Is that is that an initiative? And if so, uh, what's sort of the technology implications for that kind of uh, unified thinking? So right now, um, we do record that we've serviced them uh, in Twitter or Facebook, um, and we record in the same system that our phone reps use. And again, that's when we go back to uh, the fact that the reps were previously phone reps. They're already trained on the system, so they know it. So we record the service interaction. Um, right now, we don't record the handle. Um, that's a good idea and something we should probably uh, think about doing. But um, if you were to tweet at us, get an answer, and then call us, the phone rep would know that you had tweeted at us, and they would they would know the interaction and the resolution of that uh, service interaction. Um, but we are we are looking at trying to you know add on to the technology that we have to get more of a 360 view that includes their um, their social profile as well. Yeah, you and you and everybody else, right? I mean, that's uh, Nick and I were together at the Social Fresh conference in Orlando uh, last week, and that's one of the things I talked about in my keynote, right? That 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 unified view of the customer that we know who you are cross channel is is the holy grail uh, because it's going to make everybody's job so much simpler. Obviously, a lot easier to envision it than it is to do it. But you actually have an advantage because when people say, "Here's my account number." you can then map their Twitter or Facebook persona to their account uh, because they've actually told you who they are. If somebody's just going to reach out in a customer service context to Levi's or something uh, and doesn't have an account number, they're just wearing jeans, uh, it's a little harder for them to, to tie those data points together, huh? Exactly. And and we do do it in other channels right now. I mean, for example, um, you know, we look quite a bit. I, my team also manages um, uh, the the website discover.com and all the servicing that happens there. Um, and we look very closely at customers that are on our website trying to complete, a tra you know, some sort of transaction. Maybe they're making a payment, for example. Um, and then uh, those that drop off and eventually call us, um, we are able to make that link for exactly the reason that you just described uh, and then go back to the website and, you know, and say, well, gee, what yeah. happened? Why did they have a problem making a payment? Let's see if we can fix something. Um, we haven't quite gotten there to to, to social, but I, but that's certainly in the in the roadmap. Yep. Someday we will all be there, which will be fantastic. We will be exactly. back. Uh, we'll be back with more uh, from Dan Genghis uh, from Discover in just a minute. Uh, first, I'm going to tell you about our sponsors. Nick's going to talk about the stat of the week. Dan, feel free to, to jump in on that uh, in just a moment. But first, I want to tell everybody, I want to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that this podcast, Social Pros, is brought to you by the good people at Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company and a global leader in interactive marketing marketing software, powering the email, web, mobile, social programs of thousands and thousands of companies all over this planet. 
Uh, of course, email really important to many of the people who are involved in social media and content marketing. It is uh, a sister technology, if you will, and ExactTarget knows a lot about it. They have a brand new uh, resource that you should download. You will benefit from it. It's called 20 Winning Email Designs. It's from their email swipe file showcase and it will show you all kinds of interesting, inspiring, thought-provoking email marketing designs that you can just grab and borrow and put into your own program. It'll show you what email trends are working across the globe right now and talked about some new uh, trends that are forthcoming. So you should grab that. It's free. 20 winning email designs from Exact Target. You can get it right now at bit.ly slash winning email. That's bit.ly slash winning email, all lowercase. And Social Pros is also brought to you by the good people at Xpion. That's Nick's company, E-X-P-I-O-N. If you have a complex social media program, if you have uh, multiple nodes in your organization, lots of reps, maybe you're a franchise organization, higher ed, uh, a large retailer that's got global uh, programs involved, you got a lot of people dealing with your social media, you should think about Xpion uh, as your social management platform. Fantastic stuff, great interface, built for complicated circumstances. If you have a demoed Xpion, you owe it to yourself to do that. I've looked at it a couple times recently, and it is really spectacular. Uh, just go to Xpion.com, E-X-P-I-O-N.com. Uh, do a demo. Ask for Nick. Nick will even do the demo for you himself with his dulcet radio voice. It will be fantastic. Thanks, as always, to Xpion for sponsoring social pros okay nick now it is time because jeff is not here you are going to take over the social media stat of the week yeah and it's big shoes to fill because jeff usually comes with a pretty good stat i gotta say um so today's social stat of the week is 85 and that's going to be 85 percent which is the percentage of marketers worldwide who said the pressure to measure marketing's business value and contribution had increased uh so this recent e-marketer article actually looked at a few reports from vision edge marketing and if by phone they looked at different marketers relationships with metrics and aside from that 85 percent number they found that basically 60 percent of marketing executives were polling monthly um, but 40% said that they had uh, they had a lot of difficulty applying formal processes to the the analyzing and gathering of this data. Uh, and you know I find that interesting because one thing that you know if you know a little bit about Xpion, you know we're a, a social analytics company for really a lot of large organizations like the Mondelez's and Coca-Cola's of the world. And when I'm talking with these new customers coming in or the current customers that we work with, one of the biggest selling points that that we really help people is that analysts today I feel like spend 80% of their time gathering data and only 20% of the time actually analyzing it. Uh, and it really should be the opposite way around. You know, we talk about real-time marketing. We talk about being always on and, and producing a lot of this content out there. Yet reporting kind of monthly to different executives, I feel like, uh, is oftentimes putting yourself kind of out of date and out of touch with some of the things that could be happening day by day. And if marketers had a little bit easier process or system or tools to kind of help analyze that content or help analyze those marketing decisions that they're happening that are they're making across different channels, uh, they maybe actually get a lot more insight about that and actually spread that around to different departments. Um, so 85% is the, the, the stat of the week. And we'll put this and we'll put, link up all the different reports inside of the show notes. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we're, we're still at a place where you have to be your own middleware in many cases, right? It's like human middleware where you're stitching together data feeds from multiple sources to get a holistic view of your social program. And of course, everybody wants to just press one button and say, tell me how I'm doing. But the reality is you can pull data out of your social media management platform. Sometimes you've got to pull data out of a native um, social network. Sometimes you've got to pull web data, or many cases um, from Google Analytics or other places, Omniture, et cetera. Um, you know, it, it certainly helps to look at um, some other in-house data streams as well that are perhaps proprietary to your organization. So uh, it still requires uh, a lot of work to do social metrics and even content metrics well. But I think best practices are starting to be codified. Um, but I also find it really interesting, as Dan said, that they have shifted their metrics now as social has matured to the point that they're not even tracking uh, likes and followers and, and sort of the typical engagement metrics if they're looking deeper at behavior. And that's clearly the direction that we should all head uh, eventually. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of said it yourself before. If you're not creating some type of call to action, you really have no baseline to kind of start measuring against. And so whether that call to action is customer service focused or it's outward content focused uh, or even kind of conversion to even a sale, having some kind of metric to, to establish that baseline against really will help you start to measure in the future, I think. No doubt. No doubt. Okay, Dan, we're going to tee you up for the big two questions here in just a second. I'm going to give you a moment to steal your nerves. Uh, and meanwhile, I'm going to remind the good people at home that this podcast, Social Pros, is also brought to you by Cision, the leading provider of software services and tools to the public relations industry. Also, another good Chicago company uh, located nearby Discover. And Cision uh, can help you understand who the key media and important influencers are in your category. They also have a really fantastic content amplification engine. So you can take a good piece of content, a blog post, a slide share, a video, video, etc., and use their amplification engine to get it out there on Taboola, Outbrain, Stumble, all those kind of things. It's a unified platform, great analytics. I've used it myself. I love it. They have a fantastic tip sheet that you can download, uh, courtesy of the folks at Cision, called Six Tips to Help Amplify Your Content, all about how to make that happen. Really useful. If you haven't grabbed that yet, I suggest that you do so. Uh, you can get it for free at bit.ly slash amplify Cision. That's bit.ly slash amplify Cision, and that's C-I-S-I-O-N. And lastly, Social Pros is brought to you by Janrain. Janrain is the leader in social login and social profile data collection services. They're actually working on some of the things we were just talking about with uh, with Dan from Discover in terms of tying uh, social identities together. So you know that Nick is this person in Twitter and this person in Facebook and this person in Google Plus, et cetera. And one of the ways they do that is when you go to a website and it says, hey, would you like to log in with Facebook as opposed to filling out yet another form? You're like, yeah, hell yeah. Uh, Janrain powers a lot of that kind of technology. Um, Janrain has uh, a new guide that they just came out with about mobile login best practices. All of us are experiencing increased percentage of our traffic coming from mobile, rightfully so. Uh, but sometimes your forms and your login and your registration processes get all wonky uh, on a phone or even on a tablet. So this free guide from Janrain tells you how to make sure that your mobile registration conversion rates stay high and your abandonment rates, rate, uh, rates stay low. It's an easy read. You'll learn a lot from it. Grab it right now from Janrain. It is the mobile login best practices guide. You can get that at bit.ly slash best mobile login. That's bit.ly slash best mobile login. Okay, Dan Genghis from Discover, are you ready for the big two questions? My nerves are officially steeled. <laughs> officially steeled. Question number one, sir. What one tip would you give people looking to become a social pro? 
One tip that I would give to people looking to become a social pro, uh, my tip would be that uh, social is not as different from other channels as you might think. And this gets back to the discussion earlier about having to have good customer service before you attempt social customer service. I think that's also true uh, on the marketing side as well, is that you've got to understand marketing. You've got to understand what works. Um, You've got to have uh, either the skills yourself or a, a team with the skills to write well uh, and communicate effectively. Um, and and social is a very fascinating channel that does have its uh, unique aspects to it. But at its core, uh, I look at it as a as another channel um, among many uh, for which you can use your uh, already existing strong skills. I love it. I love it. I have said in the past that uh, people will tell you that social media is some kind of unicorn, but maybe it's just a horse. <laughs> Very good. Um, second question and final question for Dan Gingas from discover.com and discover card. Thanks so much for being part of the show, Dan. You were terrific. Last question for you is if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? Wow. Boy, that. That is that's a good one. Um, obviously, besides Jay Bear, you mean, right? Right. We've we've accomplished that, so we got to go with we got to go with a different one. Uh, I'm going to have to choose uh, again, being the Chicago and that I am. I'm going to have to choose uh, Tom Ricketts, who is the uh, owner of the Chicago Cubs. Um, I have been a Cubs fan for my entire life, and even my Twitter profile refers to me as a suffering cups really <laughs> there's no other kind yeah yeah uh, and uh but i have to tell you i think uh, i think tom has a plan and uh and this may be foolishness um and i i might be uh several times bitten uh, and still shy but i i do believe that his plan uh, is is going to work and so i'd love to to sit down with him and kind of look into the future at say 2017 uh, and hopefully be uh, be talking about waving a World Series flag at Wrigley Field, which even just saying it makes me uh, get get goosebumps. So I'm going to go with Tom Ricketts. That would be that would be something. Hey, the Red Sox were able to turn it around uh, eventually, so there's no reason uh, to believe the Cubs can't someday. It's just hard, right? Baseball takes a long time to build uh, to build a team. It's different than uh, than basketball and even to some degree football, right? It's it's a it's a many years long process, and if you make a couple of mistakes, you got to kind of go back to uh, you know go back to square one, uh, both metaphorically and, and literally. So uh, I would love to see the Cubs uh, get good again. It's uh, I think fun for everybody. So uh, we should, uh, we should, I'm sure we could get somebody from the Cub social media on the show. That would be fun. Let's, uh, let's work on that. We've had Brian Strabian. We've had Brian from the San Francisco Giants on the show. He was amazing. Brian was great. Yeah. And the Cubs just did a fantastic uh, uh, social media project uh, last week with the, uh, with the all-star game um, in trying to get Anthony Rizzo voted onto the team, which they did. Um, They created a hashtag vote Rizzo. It completely took over their account. Uh, It was trending certainly in the Chicago area, I believe in other cities as well. uh, And it was successful. So they'd be very interesting to talk to. Nice. We'll try and uh, we'll try and do that. That'd be a great suggestion. Dan, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate your time and congratulations uh, on the good work and uh, we'll uh, we'll keep watching and, and seeing all the cool things you're doing at Discover. 
Well, thank you. Thank you guys for, uh, for having me. Really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Next week on the Big Social Pros podcast, we'll have Ryan Dodge from the Royal Ontario uh, Museum talking about all the interesting things they're doing up in Toronto uh, to uh, promote their museum, which, uh, which is like the Smithsonian, but in one building. It is an enormous museum with some big social media programs. So we'll be talking to Ryan next week. We might have even have Jeff back uh, for that show. We'll see how that goes. Nick, thanks as always. Uh, on behalf of Nick Cicero from XB on IM, as always, Jay Bayer from Convince to Convert. This has been Social Pros. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media. Please tell your friends about the show. Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and view all episodes at socialpros.com. Until next week, thanks to Cision, Janray, XPN, and Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company.